take out your Bibles to the, and open to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, as we continue in our series in Mark. One thing I, I never, I, one thing I was never very good at was, was painting, artsy stuff, painting and drawing. Um, but I do know that um, there are certain principles that apply to um, to painting or to portraits or to pictures. Uh, there's a I, I, you know there's a lot of different factors. Lighting is important. Color is important. Um, but I do I, I do know that um, that really that there needs to be some kind of distinction between foreground and background. That that if there's real no if there's really no obvious foreground or obvious background the the, the picture just kind of kind of a blah you know just kind of all melts together. Um, and and as I was reading our text this for today I I, I saw two dis- I saw a very distinct foreground and I saw a very distinct background and so that's why I called our ser- the sermon today. A portrait of Christian mission because there, there's a very distinct foreground and a very distinct background. Foreground, the foreground typically is your focus. That's what you want the person to see. That's what you want them to, 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 to focus on. The background just kind of provides a context and, and, and the background really is to set the foreground uh, up. So if, if you turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Beginning in verse 7, um, I think we'll see the foreground of this portrait. We're going to read 7 through 13. And this will be really what I think Mark is wanting us to focus on. Um, and, and then verses 14 through 29 are uh, really as a background, and I would say an ominous background. Now, it's interesting that Mark decided to put these two accounts together. And I think that there was a distinct purpose for him putting these together. So look with me now at verse 7. He says, And he summoned the twelve, this is Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And then they went out and they preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil, many sick people, and healing them. Um, the foreground, it, it really what... I think what Mark wants us to focus on is Christian mission. Now, I didn't say missions. I'm not just limiting this if you look at our globe over there. I'm not, mis- I'm not limiting this to, to missions, foreign missions. But Christian mission. Um, we were given a commission in Matthew 28, 18-20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our, that's our mission. So the, the, the foreground that Mark is, is, is wanting us to focus on is now for the first time he's taking these 12 disciples and we've kind of journeyed with them through the Gospel of Mark that all that they have seen, imagine all that they've seen now. Just what we've looked at, and Mark didn't include everything, everything that, 
that they had experienced up in this point. If you read Matthew and Luke, you'll see other things that they experienced. But now it's finally time Jesus is going to send them out on Christian mission, on their mission. And he gives them some instructions. Uh, I want you to notice, first of all, what their duties are going to be. Look at me at verse 7. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, why would you send them out in pairs? Why do you think he'd send them out in twos? This audience participation time, you can participate. They don't get... Yeah, part of it... I think Neil's right. Part of it is there, there's, there is a safety, a more safety in, in, in twos. And we're going to see that in a minute. Good. What else? Mutual encouragement. Has anybody, has anybody gone door to door before? Uh, no, Susie. When we first started uh, uh, Crossroads, uh, there were some of us. We went out. Tom and I. We went out. We went out door to door in in these neighborhoods, and uh, we we just went. We had some some flyers, and we we're just going to see what God did. If you remember, we did it. You know, we we're going to whether we wanted to pray with them or share the gospel with them. And man, I, I tell you, it, it, if Tom had not been there, it would have been very easy for me just to come over here to 7-Eleven, you know, and grab some coffee and pray. Uh, uh, but there is there's some mutual encouragement, but there's also mutual accountability. Um, any, any, any other reasons why you might have sent them out two by two? Credibility. Why, why credibility? Yes, in fact, thank you, but the, the Old Testament said any, any matter is settled by two, the testimony of two witnesses. So that was it, was, it was credibility. So he sends them out two by two. And what were their duties? Look at verses 12 and 13. He sent, they, they went out and they preached that men should repent. Now this is so typical of Mark. He doesn't give the whole gospel. The, the implication is that they called them to repent. And in fact, they... they we read from Matthew and Luke that they, in fact, preached the same thing that Jesus preached, that the kingdom of God is near. So, in essence, if you look back in chapter 3 and chapter 1, their duties were the same duties, the same thing they saw Jesus doing. They were to go out, they were to preach that the kingdom of God is near. They were to call people to repent, to change their minds and their thinking about their lives and about who Jesus is. And in verse 13, they were casting out demons and anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing. In fact, uh, keep your marker here and if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter two, uh, 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 11, Paul said, I've become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent uh, apostles, even though I am nobody. His his self-deprecation. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. These were the signs that these, the apostles were doing, the signs of the true apostles, was to preach, their duties were to preach the gospel, call men to repentance, and then to demonstrate the authority of their message 
just as Jesus did by the casting out of demons, by the anointing with oil, and by healing. He gave them their duties, and their duties were essentially the same as his own. And he gives them the manner of their mission, though. And this, was, this is what seems odd to us, sounds odd to us. Uh, look with me at verse 8. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. What was a staff? It was like a walking stick. And a staff would be used for a lot of different purposes. Um, for some of us in here, they need help walking. Uh, it's to help walk. But it's also defensive. It could also be used for self-defense. Bring, bring your staff. What else does he say? Take nothing for their journey. What did he mean by nothing? No bread, no bag, no money in their belt. Why in the world would he say that? Has anybody, has anybody looked at uh, pseudo-Christian TV lately? <clears throat> what are they constantly doing? Just the odd. They're hucksters. They're constantly, they're constantly trying to get money. Jesus did not want any of that in terms of his mission. He didn't want anything to come in between the message um, that they were going to proclaim. And in, because of that, he didn't want them to be like... And by the way, what we see on TV is nothing new. They had them during Jesus' day too. Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians, he goes, we're not like many who peddle the Word of God. And what does he mean by peddle? This was a word that they, they, they get paid for peddling the Word of God. They, they, they had televangelists then. Anybody remember Johann Tetzel? Johann Tetzel, the, 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 during the Reformation, or he really was, I think, you know, Tetzel really was the, the driving force behind the Reformation. Remember, he, was, he would travel the countryside. He was raising money for... Uh, the, for St. Peter's and, and uh, he would go and he'd go into a town and he'd say as soon as a coin in the coffer rings a soul from purgatory springs. And that's when Martin Luther said uh, yet enough is enough. We've always had hucksters. There's always been peddlers peddling the word of God for personal gain. Jesus did not want to give any indication that they were in any way in this for money. And I, and I think that that, um, that says something to us today about the pastorate. Um, and this, this, this was never meant to be something that you made a lot of money doing. They were to travel light. What else did he say? He gave them permission to wear sandals. You can wear shoes. Wear your Birkenstocks. But that's it. Do not put on two tunics. We got an object lesson going on over here. Uh, listen, this just seems so odd and strange to us. But he didn't want anything coming between them and, and their mission and their message. But not only that, not only that, he did not want them, in fact, to see this as an opportunity to gain. So he told them their duties. He told them the manner. Here's how we're going to operate. But number three, he gave them a very important how to respond to rejection. Look at verse 11, if you would, with me. Any place that does not receive you 
or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Does anybody know what this symbolized? Shaking the dust off the soles off your feet? Abandonment. Yeah, it is. This place is so abandoned that I'm not even going to take, I I don't even want the, the dust to be on my shoes. Now, um, I'm not suggesting that this is a pattern uh, for us. Uh, if, if, you, if you're reaching out to your neighbor, I do not recommend this. <clears throat> um, th- this is not necessarily a pattern that, that we are to follow in every single person that, that we are trying to win to the Lord. But what he is saying is this, that, that this kind of rejection, the kind of rejection, in fact, that, he's fa- that he found in Nazareth, if you remember we, what we just looked at last week, this hard-hearted rejection, there is a time which God, God will wipe the dust off His feet because of their rejection. He, uh, shake the dust off your feet. If they slam the door in your face, just move on. The, the, this is the foreground. He's sending them out for the first time on Christian mission. And look with me, turn over to verse 30. They go out in verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. So they came back and they reported him all that they had done and they taught. The, the, I can imagine the excitement. Uh, the stories that they would tell. As they, as they all came back and reported back. All, the, all the, the events that had occurred that they, that they shared. And this in fact was the foreground I think of Mark's portrait. He wanted to show that now for the first time he has, Jesus has sent out the twelve apostles Two in, in, in groups of twos on Christian mission to preach the gospel, to call people to repentance, and to, and, and to validate their message through the signs of a true apostle. But in the background, in the background, the, the, the background, we have large storm clouds. I want you to imagine large storm clouds. Ominous background. Look with me now at verse 14. And King Herod heard. That's all it really says. The New American Standard provides of it. And when King Herod heard of it, or when he heard... Now the question is, what's the antecedent? What is it that, what is it that King Herod had heard? Well, one option could be he heard about what the disciples were doing. But what probably most likely is it that he heard? If, if we look at what follows verse 14, for his, his name had become well known and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. So who is it or what is it that King Herod had probably heard of? About what Jesus was doing. Now, who's King Herod? If we can have the slide... Now, uh, this wonderful Herodian family, um, this is what I call the ick factor. Do we have that slide? There we go. Uh, So just get ready to just want to take a shower after this. This is the the illustrious uh, Herod family. I think it's important that... uh, we get this straight because it's going to be important. Um, 
we have Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who uh, tried to kill Jesus. He's the one that ordered, remember, that ordered the death of all children two years old and younger. Yeah, nice guy. Of course, Christians probably would have voted for him. Um, he, he tried to kill Jesus and all two year, all babies two years old and younger. Nice guy. And then, and then look at, the, when he died, the kingdom was divided into fours. And we had Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, and Philip the Tetrarch. Alright? Now, Herod Antipas had married Herodias. <laughs> so they're all named Herod. Even, even, the, even the ladies. He married Herodias. And we have... Where, where is it? I've lost my place. Herodias had all, was already married to King Herod Agrippa. So who was Herod Agrippa to Antipas? Yeah. His brother. So Herodias was his brother's wife. And he married... She married Herod Antipas. Divorced him and married him. Now, back to your text. You can just leave it up there. Others are saying he is Elijah, and others are saying he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent, had had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias. The wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So, Herod Antipas heard about all that Jesus was doing. And what did he say? We have this, all this superstitious speculation. Who did, they say, who did he, people say John the Baptist was? Look with me at verse, look back at 14. He said, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That is why these powers are working him. Now imagine you murdered somebody and they rose from the dead. Might be a little nervous. Verse 15, what were others saying? He is what? Elijah. Others were saying he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, no... I know what this is. I know this is John the Baptist who has risen from the dead. And then beginning in verse 17, Mark gives us a flashback of why he fought John the Baptist and raised from the dead. Look again at 17. Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison because on the account of Herodias. So who is responsible for John the Baptist getting thrown in jail? Herodias. Think of Herodias as a, as a first century Jezebel. Very much of a first century Jezebel. Verse 19. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias, her name was Salome, or Salome, 
She herself came in and danced, and she pleased Herod and asked dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the the king set an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison. He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in the tomb. I want you to grasp what is just what, what, what occurred here. Herod throws this party. He throws this this would would have been called a a, a bacchanalia. This this uh, drunken feast of or, an orgy, and and the very daughter of his wife came and, and would have danced very provocative. By the way, this dancing, these dancing girls. In, in, in these feasts would have been this would have been reserved for for prostitutes and imagine all these men these these drunken gross men in this in, in this this drunken orgy in this feast and this young girl dancing provocatively before them and Herod himself drunk saying I'll give you up to half my kingdom and and uh, she goes to her her wonderful mother and says, what shall I ask for? And she said, for the head of John the Baptist. And they brought his head out on a platter like a, a piece of meat. Why did they hate John the Baptist so much? Was it because he's preaching the gospel? Because he went to church and was singing hymns and, and keeping the gospel inside the four wall, you know, the, was, was it, John the Baptist was out there calling people broods of vipers. And, did that get him in trouble? What got him in trouble? Look at verse 18 again for me. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful. What got him into trouble is when he called Herod to account. When he called the supreme political ruler of his day and said, it is not lawful for you to do what you're doing. Was it lawful? Sure. Man's laws. Perfectly, perfectly, perfectly okay of man's laws. What law... Was John the Baptist holding Herod accountable to? The law of God. You know what we've done? I think we have capitulated to the law of man. The law of man says that sodomy is okay. The law of man says that we can tear and rip babies apart and suck their brains out with a straw and that's okay. And we live with it. I live with it. 
When the church has lost its prophetic voice to say what you are doing is unlawful. Because when we do that, then we get in trouble. As long as we keep everything in the four walls of this church, the state is perfectly content with what we're doing. What was it that got the early church in trouble? Was it preaching Jesus? Nope. You know what it was? When Rome said, I want you to pledge allegiance to Caesar, that's all you have to do. Pinch a little bit of incense and say, I pledge allegiance to Caesar. That's all they had to do. What do Christians say? Won't do it. That's when they got in trouble. I I read this from a commentator on Rome. Romans, for the most part, were tolerant in matters of religious belief and allowed many religious sects and cults to proselytize without restrictions. Members of society could believe in any deity they wanted, including Jesus. Belief was a private matter of no interest to the Roman authorities. Roman cohesion was based on obedience to authority and on public pledges of loyalty to the state. Epitomized by symbolic sacrifices to the Roman gods. Contrary to later misperceptions, at first, Romans did not oppose belief in Jesus. Rather, Romans persecuted whoever refused to pledge loyalty to Roman authority. This includes followers of Jesus who refused to sacrifice to the Roman gods, the the equivalent of an oath of allegiance, Roman persecution included harassment at the local level and officially sanctioned or decreed persecution. Citizens and others in the empire were free to follow any religion as long as the traditional protocol of symbolic submission and allegiance to imperial authority was performed. You see... Statism, this calling of allegiance to the state, of ultimate allegiance to the state, is what Christians historically refuse to do. And it is that, and is that that's the reason why they were persecuted. They actually believe that I only give my allegiance to Christ. John the Baptist called Herod and, and not a nice guy. And, it, and, and the, the, the imperfect tense is that, that the New American Standard brings out he had been saying, he had repeatedly been calling him to account what you're doing is unlawful. It's wrong. See, today we've, we've separated man's law and God's law. Now, we, 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 we have already talked a lot about Romans 13 and, and, and one, of the, one of the ordained roles of the state is to promote the good. But what has happened is we have allowed them to define what is good. The state has not, given, has not been given the authority to define what is good. Because if we were, then abortion is good, homosexuality is good, transgenderism is good. 
Yes, they are to promote the good, but only God can determine and dictate what is what the good is. We have a supreme court, but the supreme court is not the supreme being. Otherwise, abortion is good. Otherwise, same-sex marriage is good. Homosexuality is good. Transgenderism is good. If we are following man's laws. Why, why would Mark talk about the death of John the Baptist right after he talked and focused on this, this portrait of Christian mission, this sending out, the sending out of the apostles, and then suddenly he, he, talks, he brings back this flashback about John the Baptist. I, I think it was, in fact, to remind us to remind them, to remind us that yes, the, 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 the focus, the foreground is our, our mission, our Christian mission, what God has called us to. But we have to always remember the background, the context in which our Christian mission was carried out will always be carried out in the, um, in, in the ominous presence of the state. Yes, we are to focus on the foreground. Go and make disciples of all nations. But we should always be aware of the background. And we should always remember whose law we ultimately follow. The ultimate law. The ultimate one who determines what is good. What is lawful and what isn't lawful. And as we commit to Christian mission, as we commit to going out and making disciples of all nations, we will in fact join a large company of believers who have suffered for the Savior. A call and a portrait to Christian mission. Let's pray. Father, we live in a day and age of the not, not completely unlike in fact, very similar to the day and age in which the original apostles went out. Where, for the most part, we're left alone as long as we pledge allegiance to the state. Father, in most cases, it's not even an issue for us. and We're blessed in that respect. That, that we still do have so many freedoms. And Father, I pray that, um, well, I confess that so often we've squandered that freedom. And I thank You for the freedom that we still have. But Lord, I pray more than anything else that our allegiance in Christian mission, our allegiance is to no one else but You. And I know that sometimes... That's difficult and that's hard to discern. Lord, our heart is we want to follow one Lord, one God, and that's You. All authority has been given to Christ. 
in heaven and on earth. And that is the one we follow. He is the one we follow. Father, I pray that you give us great courage, that you give us great wisdom as we navigate uh, uncharted waters. And yet, Lord, there are some things that never change. That regardless of the background, regardless of uh, what we face, there are certain things that never change. So, Lord, help us to be faithful, to follow you, to follow your law and uphold your truth, that we, in fact, would preach the gospel and call people to repentance. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?